Hey, glad you're all here today, whether you're in the room or you're joining us online at over on our West Side campus. We really, really appreciate that. And I just got to share with you some great news that we uh, came across this last week. It's about three years ago that Academy Christian Church took stewardship for Colorado Christian Service Camp. We know it as Camp Como. It's up by Fair Play, Colorado. And uh, we've been just trying to help it to be a place where kids come to know Christ. And this last week was our Prospector Camp where a lot of our uh, grade school aid kids were there. And I just got to share with you, it was an amazing week. 27 kids made decisions to follow Christ uh, at the camp. And so that was incredible. And if you've always wondered about Camp Como, what it would be like if you're in the 55 plus, or maybe if you're even just an empty nester, on August 7th, they're doing a Young at Heart camp for one day. Uh, you can go up and spend the day there, have an opportunity to see the place. I would encourage you to think about doing that, uh, if at all possible. Well, there was an elderly missionary couple who are returning uh, to the States to retire uh, after serving God in Africa for really several decades. And they weren't necessarily in good health, and they had no pension. And not only were they feeling a little bit defeated and discouraged, they were also a little bit anxious about actually returning to their homeland. And then they discovered that they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, kind of tells you what time it was, and he was returning from one of his big game hunting experiences which meant that they actually had a front row seat uh, to watch all of the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage. That meant passengers were just trying to do everything they could to get a glimpse of this great man. Well, hardly anyone at all paid any attention to them. Well, finally, the old missionary couldn't take it any longer, and he said to his wife, hey, something's wrong. I mean, we've given our lives in faithful service to God in Africa all these many years, and nobody cares a thing about us. But here comes this man back from a hunting trip, and everybody makes such a big fuss over him, and nobody even notices us. Well, like every good wife has to do, she tried to redirect his thinking and said, dear, you shouldn't think that way. But the man replied, I just can't help it. It doesn't seem right. Well, when the ship docked in New York City, of course, again, there was a band waiting to greet the president, the mayor, and many dignitaries were there. The papers were full of the president's arrival. But no one even noticed as the missionary couple, as they quietly slipped off the ship, found a cheap apartment on the east side, and then hoped the next day that they could figure out a way to make a living in the city. Now, we're going to go back and visit, revisit that story a little bit later. I think I've often shared with our church family that there's a certain tension that goes along uh, with being a pastor. And it's generated really because of our, our twofold responsibilities as a pastor that we've been given, the first of which is to comfort the afflicted, uh, the second of which is, of course, to afflict the comfortable. And I've just got to tell you and kind of warn you up front uh, that for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in a season where, honestly, uh, the purpose will be much more towards the side of afflicting the comfortable. But just let me let you also know right up front that it's not about trying to send anyone into a guilt trip of any kind. Rather, it's about making sure that we are all well aware and well prepared uh, for an event that is ultimately on the timeline of everyone's existence. Which reminds me that there's actually an entire body of information that could be placed, I think, in the category of, uh, I sure wish I'd known, or why didn't you tell me? And part of that could be like the dryer sheet that has been sticking out of my pants. How many of you saw that? Why didn't you say anything? You were going to let me stand up here the whole time? And now, obviously, that's a plant, but, you know, sadly, that's happened to me. 
I've been walking around somewhere, and then I look down, and I got a dryer sheet sticking out of my pants, and I'm like, wow, couldn't somebody tell me about that? Well, it's true about events like that that happen in the moment, but it's also true about things that happen in the future. And since we're addressing something that is on everyone's calendar, that would place it in the category of good to know or why didn't you tell me? And here's what it is. Folks, there is a time of accountability and also recognition that is coming for every one of us. Now, when I say that, I don't know if you've noticed at all or not, but accountability is not really a very welcome concept in our culture. But you know, accountability has been a part of God's interaction with humankind since the very beginning. I mean, way back to when God had to have a conversation with Adam and Eve after they had sinned. And I think he probably said to him, hey, Adam, what's up with your new clothes? <laughs> you know, those fig leaves are not all that becoming on you. In fact, what in the world made you put those things on? See, what we all need to know is that someday, every one of us is gonna give an account of our life to God. And the reason we know that is because, for example, in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, the Bible's pretty clear, and it says, so then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now, you don't really need a commentary to help you understand what that means, and I would say, just in case anyone here is hoping that what you've done might fly under the radar, there's other verses like Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, where it says nothing and you know, the Greek word for nothing means nada, zilch, zero. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And you know, what I've come to recognize is that ultimately that's why there are some people, I mean, who truly know that there's a God and while they'll make the decision to believe and act as though he doesn't exist, so that they can ignore this whole notion of being held accountable. That's what they'll do. But God is clear that it's actually not a matter of if it's gonna happen. It's simply a matter of when it's gonna happen. And because this is not just about being held accountable, but is actually intended for Christ followers to be an opportunity for recognition, the title that we've selected for the series is actually Divine Applause, Divine Applause. And I'll admit at first past it might seem a little bit odd. I mean, after all, what, what could cause the creator of the universe to clap for anything? I mean, it's really kind of a stretch of the imagination for me to think of God applauding for me or for anyone else. I mean, can you relate to that? I mean, some things with God are pretty easy to imagine. I, like, I can imagine him creating the world and putting the stars in place. I can envision him as almighty, all-powerful, and in control. I can fathom a God who made me, a God who knows me. I can even fathom a God who hears me. But a God that would acknowledge something that I've done and applaud for me? Now, that could be because today, applause is when we strike our palms together to show either approval or acclamation or appreciation. I kind of appreciate what the sociologist, social biologist Desmond Morris said. He said, when we applaud a performer, we are, in effect, patting him on the back from a distance. But let's be honest, isn't it true that given the circumstances, we may applaud very differently? Sometimes we applaud enthusiastically, Sometimes we applaud politely. We do that in church sometimes, you know that. 
We may even applaud sarcastically. But hopefully we applaud appreciatively. And so I want you to know when I say divine applause, what I'm talking about is simply God's affirmation of you. And you know, it's clear that God is actually on the lookout for people that he could affirm. Because that's literally, that's the message of the Bible. I mean, I'm kind of intrigued by the idea that God looks and even takes action in response to us. And scripture is full of examples. One of those would be 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, where it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now, in your notes this morning, I've kind of written a little bit of summary of what this series is all about. And it starts out by asking a couple of good questions. It says, when, when does God see us? I mean, all the time, right? But could there, could there be moments when God doesn't only take notice, but may even offer us some co- commendation for our behavior? I mean, what could we possibly do to receive divine applause? Well, Jesus made it very clear that God takes notice when we use what he's given us to serve others and will personally affirm us for it. Folks, that is divine applause. And I believe that this is so important because it's both helpful and healthy to know, and I mean truly know, that God actually delights in you. So going back to the question, what could possibly cause God to applaud. Because obviously he's, he's, he's not that impressed by what we do. I mean, after all, if you've spoken the universe into existence, it's not like anything we do would ever be that impressive. But we do know that there are things that God will commend us for and express his approval of and literally celebrate. For example, when people surrender their lives to Christ, there's a party in heaven. We know that because in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, it says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There was a lot of celebration this last week because of Camp Como. We also know that if a person suffers for doing the right thing, that that's, that's good. In second, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? No, that's not good. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And then there's this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. And it says, for it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but it's the one whom the Lord commends. And so the question really would be with that, who does the Lord commend? And that's what we're gonna be trying to really uncover in this series. The first uh, thing that we know is that first of all, God applauds those who steward his gifts well. That's gonna be what we're gonna be looking at today. Next week, we're gonna see how God applauds those who serve him by serving others. And then the third week, we're gonna take a look at how God applauds humble service to others. And what that means is that you and I need to find out what it is that pleases God and then make it our aim to do those things. But that's gonna require that you and I take ourselves less seriously and God a little more seriously because newsflash, (laughs) even though we might have believed it when we were two or three years old, hopefully we've gotten over it, that we are not the center of the universe. 
And you know, I think that's exactly why people had such a hard time believing that the earth revolved around the sun rather than the other way around. And you know, Satan is gonna still try to get us to believe that we're the center of the universe rather than God. So let's talk about what we're gonna look at today. God applauds those who steward his gifts well. And we're gonna explore what that means by looking at one of the parables that Jesus told. Now, Jesus told a lot of stories. We call them parables. And why do you think Jesus taught in parables? Well, it's because stories are memorable. They are relatable. They're easy to recall and easy to share with others. And I believe a parable, a great description, is that a parable is an emotional word picture that illustrates a spiritual truth or reality. It gives us a visual of something that happens and there's usually some emotion tied to it. And there's emotion in the story we're gonna be looking at today. And you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words and many people are actually visual learners and so a word picture helps you more easily grasp a spiritual truth. And that's why Jesus would often package his spiritual truths and faith lessons in these short, relatable narratives. Now, I bet that after you've heard the parable that we're looking at today, I mean, once, twice, maybe just a few times, you could probably easily summarize it for someone else in your own words. That's all it would take. And it's known uh, by several different names, but I've taken the liberty actually to identify it as the parable of the intentional versus lazy steward. And it's found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 28. Now, you need to recognize before we jump into the parable that in this particular body of teaching that actually goes back into chapter 24, Jesus was instructing his followers to be ready for his return at any time. He hadn't left yet, but he was going to, and then he was gonna come back. And so he begins this section by saying, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And what I wanna ask of you today is that sometime this week that you'd sit down with your Bible and Matthew chapter 25 and spend some time with this emotional word picture that Jesus gave us to help prepare us for an event that is on everyone's calendar and please take it to heart. Now, because I already know that you're gonna read it for yourself, correct, this week, we're not gonna read it today. I wanna just offer a summary of the passage and then we'll go back and look at some of the verses themselves. This would be the summary. A master entrusts his servants with different amounts of money or resources before going on a journey. Two of the servants are intentional and they actually double the amount they're given, while the third servant, who is lazy, buries his talent with no ROI, no return on investment. When the master returns, he commends the first two servants for their faithful use of the resources, but is clearly disappointed with the third servant for not using his resources appropriately. Now, since we're talking about doing things, before we go any farther, please, please take note, this is not about you trying to earn your salvation. It's not about that at all. We're not talking about trying to avoid God's condemnation by earning his love, but rather being able to live in his grace in a way that actually elicits his commendation. And so it's not that so you can be saved, it's actually because you've been saved. And Paul talks about that in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. He says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. See, if you're called, if you're a Christ follower, 
When you're called into account for your sins that you've committed, you're gonna be able to stand in Christ's righteousness and be declared free from sin. That's why I don't understand why anybody wouldn't wanna be a Christ follower. That's the best news you're gonna hear all day. But you know, being saved by grace doesn't mean that what you do after you become a Christ follower doesn't matter. It does matter. And in this parable that Jesus told, he makes it clear that it makes a difference. It even makes an eternal difference. Now, even though what we're talking about today may not seem important to you right in this moment, and I realize you've got a lot of stuff on your plate, someday this is gonna be more important to you than you could ever imagine. And that's why Jesus gave us this parable. So here's what we're gonna do in the next few moments. I want us to look at some observations that I think we can make from the parable, and then we're gonna talk about some very healthy responses that we would need to make. So let's start with some observation. The first observation I would wanna make from this parable is that we don't all have gifts to the same degree. Now, it's pretty clear when we talk about gifts that gifts in the Bible that we receive from God include skills, and abilities, sometimes financial resources, family and social connections, life experiences, and a lot more. And so in Matthew 25, 15, here's what we discover happened. He says, to one, he gave five bags of money, to another, two bags of money, and to another, one bag of money. And you might be thinking, well, what, what, what was the difference there? And then, of course, he tells us, each according to his ability. Now, does that bother any of you? I mean, how many of you would say that you've come across someone that you would perceive as being more talented than you? Have you come across anybody who's more talented than you? Yeah, yeah. And have you ever felt like there are some people in this world who have received an inordinate amount of talent? You're like, what is that? Reminds me of this kid. get that what is that kid what like three years old man when I was three years old the only thing I was trying to master was potty training and that wasn't even going very good and look at that kid (laughs) now while that might not seem fair what the parable reveals is that the return that God expects from anyone is commensurate with the gifts that have been given And folks, that's why the one who received one talent was not condemned because he failed to reach the five-talent goal. He was condemned because he did nothing with what he'd been given. Second observation I would want to make would be this. We are to use whatever we've been given for God's purposes. Now, I think we naturally want to believe that we, we can use our gifts as we please, 
And of course, that's because we've grown up in a culture where the individual is, is primary. And so we tend to think that we can just kind of live as we please. And because we all want to be the little God of our own lives, we, we can tend to believe that, that serving isn't always in our best interests. But you know, the truth is we actually find our place in life and our true joy when we serve God and others with our gifts. And I think the first two of the servants understood that because in verse 16 of Matthew 25, it says, the man who'd received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and he gained five bags more. And when you read the rest of the story, it's pretty clear that he understood that the five bags that he gained were really on behalf of his master. And what this parable instructs us to do is to intentionally invest what God has given us for his purposes rather than just for our own while reminding us that, man, there, there's great reward waiting for those who faithfully steward God's gifts. Third observation I would want to make would be this. God affirms those who purposely use, properly use, what he's been given. See, sometimes Christians act as if growth and productivity and return on investment is unholy to God. But you know, this, this, this parable, the story kind of debunks that notion because when all said and done, the master looked at what they'd accomplished and here's what he said in verse 21. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And when he says, well done, that has to do with outcomes, what actually happened. When he says, good, that has to do with methods that he used. And when he says, faithful, that has to do with motivation. Folks, outcomes and method and motivation, those matter to God. And we should invest not only our God-given talents and abilities, but also our wealth and resources. And we're going to actually talk about that next month. We should invest them in eternal things because, folks, that's how we store up treasure in heaven. And the implication of this parable is that if we'll make serving God's purposes our priority, that we're going to take our place among really the faithful, trustworthy servants of God, no matter how big or no matter how small our accomplishments may seem. There's, there's a fourth observation I want to make is this. Even though Jesus is no longer physically present on earth, it doesn't mean that his followers now have the freedom to sit back and do absolutely nothing. It should be clear from Jesus' parable that doing nothing and kind of hoping that somehow everything's going to work out should not be considered as an option I mean, the servant who was inappropriately fearful and negligent was pretty swiftly reprimanded by his master. And it wasn't very pretty, was it? Because when you read in verse 26, the words that he had for his servant were wicked, lazy servant. Now, what the story tells me is that if you consider yourself a one-talent person, which I know a lot of people do, ah, I don't have that many gifts, it was the one-talent guy who kind of said, hey, I just got one, so it's not going to make much difference. And if you're a one-talent person, you should be the most concerned. Now, we're not really sure what that guy's problem was. I mean, did it tick him off that one guy got five and one guy got two and he only got one? We don't know. But we do know that he didn't seem to appreciate, he didn't seem to trust the one he was serving. And since I mentioned that, have you ever had the thought to yourself, 
You know, I'm not sure if I agree with how God has set things up in this world. <laughs> how many of you would be willing to admit that you, you've had the thought that if you were God, you might do things a little bit differently? You don't have to raise your hand. But I'll tell you what, I have to admit that that has crossed my mind on more than one occasion. And I don't care who you or I think we are. Folks, the problem is that's above our pay grade. God is God and you and I are not. And this is true whether you'd like it to be or not. And how you feel about it's not going to change what is. And so let me give you some obvious responses. Here are three things I think you had to do. Number one, just start. Start here. Acknowledge personal accountability. I am going to be personally accountable. Now, if you're like most people, you don't like being in the hot seat. I don't like being in the hot seat. But I want to remind you that this is never going to be about comparison. It describes a moment when each of us will be personally accountable to God with no comparison to what others have done, but based solely on what we did with what we were given. That's okay, that puts us in charge. Number two, ask the right questions. And I think this is important because you need to ask a question like this. Do I equate hearing with doing? Because that happens in church all the time. We go to church and we hear and then we leave and he thinks because we heard we've done something. It doesn't mean we've done anything. Reminds me of the bumper sticker that reads, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> no, 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 don't just look busy. I mean, get busy, be busy. And the second question we gotta ask is this, what am I doing with what I've been giving, given? You know, there are very few stories that end with the end. And that's because a really good story kind of stays with you. And that's kind of the place I'm hoping that this parable ends up for each of us. See, we need to keep contemplating its application for us personally. Because it's not about what's gonna to happen to somebody else. It's about what's gonna to happen to you and me. Which brings me to the third application or response. Folks, just do something. Please do something. Now fortunately here at Academy Christian Church, that is already true for so many of you. Did you know that, that nearly 60% 60% of those who consider this their church home are already helping to serve God's purposes here. And if that's you, I, I just want to say again, ACC, you are I'm thankful for you. You're a great church family. And if you're serving, I, I hope that you are anticipating some divine applause because God, God wants to be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you're still not yet currently serving, but you decide to do so, you know what that means is it means you're not gonna be serving alone. You're not gonna to have to carry everything yourself. You've got a lot of company and support because when we think of 60%, there's about 1,000 people, adults, who attend here at ACC or are part of it. And that means 600 of them are already serving. But you know what? It sure would be awesome if another 200 of you would step in in these next couple of weeks. And you know, to help with that, in your program today, we've got a little insert that describes the serving opportunities that we can help you with here at the church. And let me just say, when you look at this list, if you're a one-talent person, there's a place to serve. If you're a five-talent person, there's a place to serve. And everything in between, there's a place to serve. We'd like you to look over the list and 
what we really want to ask you to do is, is don't just mark 20 different places. We'd like you to ask if you'd pick one or two things that you might be really interested in and then fill that out. And you can put it in the, the basket at the back of the worship center. You can take it out to the connection center. You can take it out to one of the tables if you would like. And if you'll go to the tables, we have a special, very special edition, divine applause edition of these clappers that could actually be one of yours today. Some of you have got them already. That's why we didn't hand them out at the beginning. <laughs> I want to close with one more, one more verse of scripture. In verse 19 of Matthew 25, it says, after a long time, Jesus was pretty serious about that, wasn't he? It's been a long time. I mean, like 2,000 years, 2,000 years since he left. But he's coming. The master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And folks, we don't know exactly when that's going to be, but it is on everyone's calendar. And, and the consequences for the unproductive servant let us know that we need to be investing our lives, not wasting them. And there may not be the acclaim that we want to receive on this earth, which takes us back to the story, that first night back in the States for that missionary couple. The man's spirit broke and he said, I can't take this. God's not treating us fairly. And so his wife replied to him, well, why don't you go in the other room? And maybe you can tell that to the Lord. And so he did, and she was amazed because just a short time later, he came out of the bedroom, but now his face was completely different. And she asked him, she said, wow, what, what happened? And he said, you know what? The Lord, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was that the president would receive that tremendous homecoming. But no one met us when we returned home. And when I finished, he said, it seemed as though the Lord placed his hand on my shoulder and said simply, but you're not home yet. You're not home yet. There will come a day when you'll get to hear the words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be awesome to have that be all of our moments? That's in our hands. Let's, let's pray. Father, it's hard for us to even comprehend the creator of the universe saying to us, well done, good and faithful servant. But you've already said that that's possible. And so I pray God you'd help every one of us here to be prepared for that moment when we stand before you. That we would be willing because of your grace uh, to give our lives in service to you and to your priorities. And that as we do, your joy and your meaning and purpose would fill our lives. Thank you for this church family, for the way they serve. Pray that we'll just be faithful uh, in following you. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.